Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben from the Lean Blog. This is episode number 31 of the Lean Blog Podcast for September 9th, 2007. Our guest once again today is David Meyer, the co author of the books The Toyota Way Field Book and the more recent Toyota Talent, which is the focus of our conversation today. I hope you enjoy the podcast. If you have any feedback or comments, you can contact me at leanpodcast at gmail.com or via the website leanblog.org. For show notes and past episodes of the podcast, you can get to those directly by visiting leanpodcast.org. Thanks for listening. Well, joining us once again on the Lean Blog podcast is David Meyer. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate it. We're here talking about uh, primarily the new book, Toyota Talent, uh, that you co-authored with Jeff Leiker. I was wondering if you could give us a brief overview of the book and, and talk about uh, some of the motivation for, uh, for writing this one. Sure. Well, you know, after we, after we finished with the, with the field book, um, you know, we took a look. And in, in my experience with, with organizations, I think the biggest gap uh, really is Development of people, mm-hmm. and specifically uh, training, and you know, really the TWI approach and job instruction is a key. And we touched on it briefly in the field book, but we really didn't have enough uh, room there to expand on it thoroughly. So I felt like it was um, something still missing in that arena. It's really important process to me. It's probably the number two most important skill I learned at Toyota follow, you know, following problem solving. So mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of crazy. Uh, we we put a lot of time and effort into the field book and we um, should have should have taken a break, but I felt like it was really mm-hmm. important. So yeah. decided to go that route. I kind of had to talk Jeff into it. Yeah. Um but, yeah, so the you know the subtitle of the book talks about developing your people the Toyota way, and uh, you know you see a lot of the diagrams and illustrations of uh, you know, what the, the Toyota production system is, and you know, people are usually right in the middle of that diagram, and you know it's it's kind of cliche almost for any company really to say you know people are our most important asset, but it seems like Toyota really tries to make that a reality. So you know wh- what is it about the Toyota approach to to people and, and training that you know, helps make some of that a reality. Well, you know, speaking of that cliche, I was I was at a facility this years ago when I first started consulting, and had a great big banner right across the door. You know, people are are most important. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I, you know, at the time I was a little naive, I guess, and I thought, oh, that's that's really great. You know, I'll be able to work with this organization. And in the first conversation with the plant manager, the first question was, how many heads can I cut? <laughs> You know, so I ran outside to look at the banner again, make sure I hadn't misread it or something. And I, I said, you know, I don't, I don't understand if, if that's really true. If people are your most important asset, why would you want to reduce your most important asset? Wouldn't you want to grow that asset? And I think uh, that's the heart of Toyota's belief is growing the asset, the people asset. Yeah. And I think Toyota and, and other companies, I think everyone really starting to see every organization. Ultimately, the limiting factor in 
then of course they you know put their money where their mouth is I think um, on your on your blog a while back there was some discussion about Toyota being frugal or cheap or I think and um, mm-hmm. you know as I went through the Toyota plant the last time what I what really struck me was that they don't spend a lot of money on non-essential costs they usually are frugal but when it comes to the people side, then there's quite a bit of expenditure. Um, you know, beginning with the selection process, and then there's a, a very extensive assimilation where people spend time learning about the company and the culture, and mm-hmm. they do work hardening, you know, developing their, their physical capabilities before they hit the line. But then when they get to the workplace, the actual workplace is a lot of you know, offline skills practice to learn, you know, essential skills. Uh, there's essential training, cross training. Um, Toyota contributes $15 per person per quarter to a fund called Personal Touch, in which uh, the employees then are able to spend that money for different things. Some of them buy pool tables, you know, there's pool tables and basketball goals, and mm-hmm. you know, in the plant. So, you know, I think it's it's done in just a number of ways. The perfect attendance ceremony. Spending to uh, really grow the people asset. Yeah, and so, so it sounds like there's spending in a couple different areas. One is you know some some perks and, and benefits um, for the employees, and you know, the, the other category seems like that big investment, that upfront and uh, I'm sure to some extent ongoing investment in in selection and training. And you know, it seems like some companies might balk at that, thinking, well, that's just you know that's just too much money to spend. I want to you know, I want to hire people and, and throw them in to be productive right away. Mm-hmm. Well, it is. I, I think it's a it's a big sacrifice. And I think it's a struggle for some organizations, especially if they're you know, trapped um, for money at the time, to, to think about it as a long-term investment. I think, you know, what I do want to point out is Toyota isn't necessarily best in class in this area in terms of, of growth and things. Mm-hmm. Google and right. free cafeterias with you know all different things in the organization, but um, certainly Toyota is up there in terms of their commitment to the people mm-hmm. and the growth and, and development of people. Yeah. And the the book gives a, you know a, a very very good um, you know detailed outline of. The different phases of um, the training and development process, and you, you mentioned TWI, the training within industry program. So, if you could talk to us a little bit about um, how Toyota has used and, and adopted, you know, or built upon that methodology. Yes, well, I think I think primarily one thing that that Toyota picked up from the methodology is this idea of breaking down a job, and it it really comes through in, in two different modules in the job methods process and in the job both of those are based on this four-step methodology, and um, and in both of those, there's, there's a lot of questioning of the detail and breaking down jobs into you know, rather minute, minute detail. And um, I think that it really picked up on those. You know, um, some of some of that history, I'm not completely. 
earlier on mm-hmm. personally, but um, you know, Mr. Kato, who who was he was the gentleman who trained me in the job and custom methodology back in 1987. He uh, did an interview with Art Molly in there. He talked about how the job method process was a little bit narrow for Toyota. It didn't include concepts like pack time and flow. Mm-hmm. Ono was really interested in, and so Toyota. I think I think you can definitely see the connection. When I uh, when I got hold of the original materials just about five years ago, and and I looked at the original PWI materials, um, there was a lot of I would say copying involved. So Toyota took those ideas directly, and then in some cases they modified. Uh, in terms of job instruction, they were really true to the original method. I read the the original book. Uh, I felt like that was back in my training. Mm-hmm. I also followed that uh, methodology pretty strictly. Mm-hmm. There were a few modifications, and I think um, you know that material is from 1940, so right. a little bit dated in some cases. And some terminologies and things were updated, but basically the core methodology, the four steps method. When you talk about breaking down a job, um, you know, I think when we've when we've talked before um, outside the podcast, you, you, I remember a comment you made about you know the, the level of detail that Toyota goes through, you know, really looking at minute detail. And I was wondering if you could, you know, maybe share some stories about that, or you know, wh- why you know it, it, it can be valuable to, to really look at such a fine level of detail. Okay. Yeah. Again, I think I think that idea of breaking the job down. Uh, originated with the PWI methodologies, um, especially in job methods. There's you know, this four-step method to, to really question every detail, to look at it. And I think Toyota took that to heart and probably realized that you know, within the detail is the secret of you know, doing a, a job effectively. And then also at that detailed level, being able to communicate that and, and transfer that understanding to other people. So and, you know, when I look at other companies and I try to think about it, and I talk to, talk to the leadership there about their, their knowledge of the job, um, the knowledge is fairly superficial. They kind of have a broad knowledge of basically what happens. But in terms of asking specific questions, um, what happens if you do it this way? not that depth of understanding. So, you know, we kind of guesstimated in the book that maybe Toyota goes into detail five times more than most other companies, and maybe ten times more. Yeah. Um, but it, it is, it's very detailed, and I I told a group recently, you know, the, the examples in there from, from bumper molding, um, you know, a friend of mine from Toyota who also worked in bumper molding, and read that, and said, well, I bet you pulled those sheets from your archives no, I actually pulled those from my memory. Mm-hmm. And the detail that I was able to recall after 14 years, it's 14 years since I worked in that area, mm-hmm. um, kind of indicates how you know, deeply we understood the work. Yeah. The kind of detail we went into. And you know, in the book, we talk about breaking it into the categories. 
really remember those for every work area that I was responsible for. Yeah, you talk about the critical steps, and um, one thing I really like about the the TWI and the the job breakdown sheet method is the focus on uh, the key points mm-hmm. and and kind of going that extra step further of um, explaining why steps right. are important. You know, it seems like that's right. a, a very common theme in the, in the Toyota approach. Uh, you know, maybe it, I assume it ties into the idea of respect for people that you're taking that extra effort, not just because I said so as the boss or a coworker, um, but because there's some legitimate reason behind it. Right. Right. Well, you know, and that's, I think that was one part where Toyota modified the job instruction method. The original material didn't really uh, talk about presenting the, the uh, reason so much. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what I found personally, there's several, there's several benefits to it. One is that it's kind of a, uh, a reality check as you're breaking down the job to, to find out, is there really a valid reason that we do it this way? Or am I just trying to promote my personal methodology, mm-hmm. right? Because everybody kind of has a favorite way. And so, um, you know, what what people would say sometimes, they'd break down a job and they'd, they'd identify a key point. And they'd say the reason is for safety. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, specifically, what is it that we're trying to prevent? Are we trying to prevent some specific injury or something? And so the second piece, it kind of forces you at that point to really question the validity of the key point and um, you know, the key to the process is to minimize those to, to, to really just look at the most relevant pieces of information because mm-hmm. when you're trying to teach somebody something I mean literally you could you could elaborate on all kinds of things and guys ask me all the time with standardized work they say well do we have to talk about which hand the screwdriver is <laughs> Or, you know, which angle, I, well, it depends. It depends mm-hmm. on the relevance of that. Mm-hmm. You know, is it necessary to have a screwdriver in one hand? Is it benefit productivity? Is it, you know, related to the flow of the workplace? Is it, you know? So we have to consider the key points and have a lot of, really a lot of uh, evaluation yeah. on them. And then the other piece is, just like you said, I think, for people to understand that there is a valid reason that we do things, we're not just you know, trying to be dictatorial or something. Um, you know, I would often take the team members up to the assembly department and show them uh, the person who is putting our parts on the vehicle, and show them how what we did related to what they do, so that they could have a better understanding of that. Mm-hmm. And I think then people are less likely to try to come up with a, a various method or, you know, it, it helps to ingrain it. You know, they don't forget it. I think it's a real important part of the process. Yeah. But, and that's one other thing that really um, stood out to me from the book, this notion of figuring out what to standardize. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I guess, you know, with any of the, uh, the lean tools, it, it's tempting to say, okay, well, you know, here's this principle that, you know, we've heard is good, you know, this idea of standardizing how things are done and to maybe, uh, you know, almost mindlessly take that to an extreme that, you know, standardizing is good. So we're on a standardizing kick the same way, right. you know, a company might be on a 5S kick. And you know, I've just, I've, I've seen too many environments where that notion of standardizing um, 
you know, causes heartburn. And, you know, I think a lot of it may come back to, you know, people question, well, you know, you're, you're trying to standardize things that don't matter or, you know, it's, right. it's more about you asserting your authority than it is about, you know, taking care of the customer and, and ensuring you know, safety or a quality product. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I think this whole idea of standardized work and standardizing mm-hmm. is one of the most difficult and challenging, uh, certainly in, in the field book, it's the most difficult chapter to write, I think, because it's, you know, broad for one thing and, and because there's so much misunderstanding for another. And I really wanted to try to clear up some of those, those misconceptions. Um, and, for, you know, the first thing to me is, right, I see a lot of folks going, okay, you know, they've got their lean journey step by step and step 10 says implement standardized work so they go out you know start implementing quote unquote standardized work and what that usually means is write the job down put it on a sheet post it in the material right and that's that's not it at all you know that might be the the final manifestation if you want to tell you you might see that but there's a whole lot prior to that so to me first of all standardization isn't a line item on your necessary at some point in your process when you start to realize, hey, you know, we're we're getting into a certain issue, we're finding out about a particular quality problem or some other problem. And at the root of it, we don't have a defined method. So let's define the method. Mm-hmm. So really it's part of the problem solving process. Standardization is an answer to a problem. So if I don't have a specific problem or I don't know if I have a need to begin with, kind of, yeah, I could go out and standardize a million things. Literally, you could, you could standardize until the end of time and that would be all you would do. So you have to be very selective and make sure that it's applied to a need. The second key piece, again, is that, that breakdown that we talked about in the talent book where it says, you know, what, what are the critical elements of the work? And it's, I often ask group managers, I say, how much of your work is critical? And some folks say 100%. No way. It's just not possible that 100% is critical. So you really have to begin and kind of slice across there and take a portion and say, where, where do we have the greatest need? Where do we have uh, issues in our process that we need to dig into? And then we can use this tool that work tool to help us to resolve that. Right. So it's I I believe it's a it's a selective process. At some point, you know, like in Toyota's development, sixty years or so into this process, they've they've spread it, you know, across all the jobs and so forth. Mm-hmm. If you're just starting out, you have to begin with a, a selective process, I think. Mm-hmm. Make sure you're not uh, standardizing the deck chairs in the Titanic while your yeah, while exactly. your business is falling apart. Exactly, and it, it's uh, to me, I think it, it requires an incredible amount of time because there's typically you know, interaction between the, the folks who are doing the work every day, mm-hmm. and then most organizations I deal with, there's there's some discrepancies already between how people do the work. And so there's, we need to clarify, are the discrepancies acceptable? Because sometimes they are. 
organization of work doesn't mean everybody does it exactly the same. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's a reason it's not called identical work, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when I ask the question, what does standardized mean, usually the definition is the same. So, well, the same in terms of the critical part or the very important parts of the work. If I give in the breakdown in in the talent book, of a bumper, there were some parts of the task that had very little margin of error. Mm -hmm. They were very specific in the way they had to be done. So for those particular tasks, Mm -hmm. we couldn't allow any deviation from the methodology. And in other cases, the the work wasn't quite as defined as spray mold release in the the mold, and your spray pattern is probably not going to be identical to somebody else's, but we need to get it close enough that we still get a good result. Mm -hmm. So, and then there were some activities that were of low importance. They had a low impact overall on quality, safety, productivity. And so in those cases, it wasn't that big a deal as long as you could still meet the requirements. Right. Understanding that helps a lot in how to approach the work and how to think about breaking it down. Yeah, one example I've thought of when you're talking about the context of what to standardize um, comes back to uh, the many years I was in marching bands. And, you know, the, mm-hmm. the standard work um, and, and the training involved in a marching band, um, you know, oftentimes comes to a level of detail I would never spe- you know, ask people to specify in, in regular work. Marching band, they teach you always take your first step with your left foot. And that each of your steps have to be, you know, 22 and a half inches long. And, you know, it's a very, um, you know, precise um, specifications there. But from a uh, a visual standpoint, those things end up being very important so that everybody is is moving in unison and people are, you know, moving, uh, you know, staying in straight lines and hitting yard lines, you know, at at the same time. Um, But, you know, for people doing work in a, you know, doing material handling or, or working within a hospital, it, it wouldn't make any difference if they took their first step with the, the left or the right foot, right. I would assume. Right. Yeah, I think that's a good analogy. And, and I think if you look in uh, sports, particularly uh, Olympic events, you know, swimming, your body position, exact position of the hands, I mean, all of those things can make the difference of a hundredth of a second, which can mean the difference between a gold and a silver. Mm-hmm. And you know, with a marching band, having everyone in unison is is a critical part of the overall presentation. Right. So again, I think, and and you said you use the word precise. I think that um, the level of precision that's necessary. I think in a lot of cases, people are undervaluing that or under they're not understanding it completely. Mm-hmm. There's an assumption. Oh, well, that's not really that that critical. But then you see the end result in, in a high level of defect or you know, right. low productivity or that sort of thing. So I, I think there's more acceptance overall outside of Toyota for the fact that you know, things don't always work. And Toyota, we, we realize that within those details, the precision that's necessary for the, for the consistent outcome is there. Mm-hmm. And we have to dig into those so that we get it. Um, 
one other thing I thought was worth highlighting from the book um, is the idea that you know job breakdown or the standard work process is something that doesn't just apply to say highly repetitive you know, forty second mm-hmm. assembly line cycles. You shared some examples. I, I was wondering if you could talk about the idea of doing you know job breakdown and and standard work for for jobs that are maybe less routine. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, and that's you know that's a challenge, but. Um, I learned to apply this method at Toyota and a lot of the jobs that we had in plastics weren't necessarily the routine, you know, 55 second tax time, uh, activities and, and yet we were breaking those down and, and training people. So for me, you know, we wanted to include some examples from, from healthcare from outside of, you know, standard manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Um, even within manufacturing, I believe there's just a number of jobs, you mentioned material handling, for example, a number of jobs that aren't on that kind of tight, cyclical, repetitive mm-hmm. basis. So, um, you know, we take a look at the work. I still realize, though, that uh, for, for some of the tasks, there may be some repetition to that. So we kind of start breaking it down, and we put into categories of, of core tasks. Mm-hmm. The art of breaking down a job is, is just trying to categorize and group the different elements because you're gonna what you're trying to do is you're trying to get down to what we call a teachable bit, mm-hmm. a small portion of the work that can be uh, taught to someone in a matter of you know, about 15 minutes worth of training, mm-hmm. about 15 minutes worth of the, of the student uh, repeating back and demonstrating back. So about a 30-minute interval for training is, is considered to be about average. And then, of course, there's more practice required after that. Mm-hmm. So we look at a job like a nurse, and you can consider that a nurse is bouncing all over the place, and they go here and there. And of course, from their perspective, they say, oh, well, you know, how am I ever supposed to break my job down? It's never the same. But in reality, there's a lot of sameness within the mm-hmm. job. It just, it just doesn't repeat on any kind of cycle. The cycle is variable. Yeah. But if you if you get beyond that, if you get beyond you know the sequence of the work step, and just think about the individual activities that are done, then you can really get down to that, that yeah. level and break it down. Yeah. So if you you, you may have uh, let's say as a nurse a very unpredictable day as far as the exact sequence and timing, but you uh, have certain activities that come up very frequently. And, and, and so mm-hmm. you could do a job breakdown for specific you know, patient interactions or specific mm-hmm. functions that you do during the day. And it sounds like what you're yeah. saying is not try to train somebody um, on the complete end to end job, but to, to pick small, you know, like you said, um, small small chunks or, you know, individual tasks rather than trying to, I guess, over the, the, the fear would be that you overwhelm somebody by trying to you know, stuff too much knowledge in their head all at once. Well, what, you know, what typically happens, I've seen this you know, so many times, you mentioned the, you know, teaching the complete task. So if I'm trying to, to train a nurse, for example, and, you know, the typical method is here, go, you know, go shadow Dave, you're going to be with Dave for a couple of days or weeks or whatever. Um, you know, here I am, and I and I'm trying to think about 
teaching you in some sequential manner, and of course the work isn't sequential mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. I start off and I said, okay, Mark, the first thing you have to do is this, and I start to show you, and we're, you know, we're about a third of the way into that, and all, all of a sudden something else pops up. Mm-hmm. Said, okay, hold on a second, we got to run over here. So I, I go over there and change gears. So, well, Mark, you know, when you're doing this, here's what you have to do. And we get you know, halfway into that, and all of a sudden something else pops up. And so, what happens is, you know, um, study after studies indicate what our our limits are in terms of learning capabilities and, and how many of those chunks we can absorb at any given time. And and so, um, you know, the, the student becomes quickly confused. First of all, because the training has gone off on you know, four or five different tracks, and then overwhelmed, and so. And don't get the opportunity then to also practice and you know, repeat back what we've learned and mm-hmm. some of those important things. Um, so I've seen a lot of folks try to do that uh, with a non-cyclical job is more challenging, of course, mm-hmm. because of the because of the nature of the work. So um, you know, the first thing is when training, we have to we have to. Separate ourselves from the, the real work at the time we're training. Because when I'm training someone, you know, for example, training a Toyota, if I'm training on the line, I can't train you fully at line speed to begin with. Mm-hmm. And if I'm teaching a nurse, I don't want to be, um, you know, in the middle of teaching you how to drop blood, and then we have to you know, get sidetracked and go somewhere else. Yeah. But you know, the, the teaching event is a, is a very um, intentional sort of event and you kind of have to block off time and separate yourself from mm-hmm. the real work during that event. Yeah. Well, and I, sometimes that's challenging. You know, that's a, that's a big challenge. I'm not saying that, you know, that, that happens that way every time, but that would certainly be preferable. Yeah, I saw a blog post um, just a couple of days ago, the, the Daily Kaizen blog from uh, the folks at the Group Health Cooperative, uh, a hospital in Seattle that I've had here on the podcast. And they went and toured NUMI in California. One of the things they were impressed with and wrote about was the um, the offline you know, simulated you know, car training area. And you know, they, they made a comment about you know how nice it would be to have something similar to that um, in healthcare to, um, to coach and train, you know, for example, an OR team um, working together. Mm-hmm. Something they uh, you know came away with, I, I don't think um, you know is happening, and you know, well, again, opportunity I think, they saw. I think you have to get back to the the original question of of the um, importance of that or critical nature. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there's too much risk involved with putting a new hire directly on the line. There's too much risk involved in, in shutting down the line. There's too much risk involved in damaging the product or, or even you know, potential injury. So the offline training is really a way to minimize that risk. It's not yeah. like Toyota looks at it you know, and says, oh, let's, you know, let's do it this way because you know, there's some training advantage. I think it's more to get the, the basic skills mastered before you risk the mm-hmm. chance of somebody you know, flipping with a screw gun and scratching a vehicle, which is Costly yeah. uh, type of error. Right? 
and I've trained a lot of people online at at rate, but the way you do that is you have to have the regular operator there to do mm-hmm. 45 seconds of the 55 second work, and then you do 10 seconds to teach the person how to do 10 seconds mm-hmm. worth of work. And once they master the 10 seconds, you teach them another 10 seconds, yeah. and then another 10 seconds, and another 10 seconds. So it's a it's a more lengthy process to teach someone online. I can actually accelerate the process by doing it offline. Yeah. Um, so we're starting to get a little bit short on time here, David, but I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the new Toyota plant in San Antonio um, you know, with the, the ramp up and, and training of, of new employees and, and developing of a new process. How some of the methodologies from Toyota Talent are being applied down there? Sure, Mark. Uh, well, one thing I think is that in the San Antonio plant, of course, they're producing a, a new product for Toyota, the, the full-size pickup truck. And so I'm imagining that there's a lot of uh, learning from, from the ground up mm-hmm. in terms of the jobs and trying to uh, do processes that Toyota hasn't done. And most of the other facilities, the product has been produced in Japan or somewhere, so they've got some prior history. I'm sure that they're doing a lot of uh, breaking down of the work and trying to understand the specifics there. Uh, I'm sure that they're using some of the, the principles in terms of uh, training offline or some of the newer things that they're doing in the global production center that we talked about in the book. But the, the other thing that's interesting is that uh, you know there aren't a lot of uh, local automotive suppliers in that region. Mm-hmm. an example of lowering the water to you know, force them to get better at that. Uh, right. I'm sure problems do occur, but they have a way yeah, of the, correcting that and making sure you know, the problem maybe doesn't happen again. Yeah, definitely. There's there's problems that occur. It's challenging. I think it's uh, you know, certainly a risky proposition, but uh, you know, Toyota has worked to create systems to try to help you know, alleviate 
alleviate some of those issues. And it, and it does. It forces everyone there to really have to be on their game and to perform at a high level. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's basically the, the idea. Is there some, some short-term risk of the line stopping or, or things? Yes. And I think if you see anything in the news, you can see that they are experiencing some difficulties in the, in the plant and trying to get things lined out. But I'm sure they're working on it, and that—that's, I guess, the key of you know, pushing towards, you know, perfection. Mm-hmm. Always working on it, right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, once again, uh, we want to thank you for joining us here on the podcast. Uh, as I mentioned on the blog, you know, I wrote a separate review. Um, really enjoyed Toyota Talent. There's definitely uh, a lot of good uh, conceptual, you know, interesting. In- material in there, but there's also a lot that's very practical and um, applicable. So I definitely recommend the book on a number of different levels. And and for people listening, if you want to come to uh, leanpodcast.org, look for the the link to this podcast. I'll have links to to this book and the others in the series and and some of the topics that we talked about today. So David, I want to thank you again for sharing your insights and being here with us. Well, thank you, Mark. And uh, looking at the time now, I just realized that almost an hour just whizzed by very quickly. So I appreciate your efforts there on the blog and and, uh, keep up the good work. Keep us posted on your uh, upcoming work. Thanks. Hopefully we'll uh, talk to you again soon. Okay. Thanks, Mark. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.